Forget National Public Radio. Forget Alex Jones. Forget Pacifica and Amy Goodman. The place to hear intelligent, well-informed conversation on topics that may be of interest, topics that the mainstream doesn't want you to know about, is Truth Jihad Radio. Please subscribe by way of the Substack button at truthjihad.com. Welcome to Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth, looking all over the world for the most interesting voices, telling the hard truths that a lot of folks don't want to hear, especially the corporate-controlled media and the oligarchs that own it. Today, I'm very uh, grateful to have on the show one of the really top-level people that I've encountered by way of working at Veterans Today. Sometimes people say, what are you doing at Veterans Today? All those those crazy people. Well, yeah, there are a few crazy people, and I don't always agree with the editors on everything, but uh, one of the reasons I'm there is, A, I have total free speech, and B, I run into great people, and one of them is my guest right now, Moti Nisani. Moti Nisani has published a number of pieces at VT. His Encyclopedia of Domestic Assassinations is absolutely classic and must-reading, for anybody interested in that important topic. And I think he's got the political side of things pretty well figured out. Uh, that means I agree with most of what he has to say in that area. So let's uh, get to it. Welcome, Modi. How are you? Uh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you. Uh, very impressed with your work. Uh, I think you've really diagnosed it right. We have a, a, a criminal oligarchy running the West, and maybe a good place to start, I guess, would be to say, where are we at this moment in history? Um, if I had to sort of sum it up in a sentence or two, I would say that we are right now metastasizing after the uh, 9-11 false flag operation blew up what little was left of the original vision of the American Founding Fathers, created an Orwellian dystopia, which is now metastasizing even worse thanks to the COVID-19 false flag pandemic, a bioweapon that was almost certainly, as Ron Unz has written, launched by a neocon biowar attack against China and Iran. And so we're living through really an epic uh, era of misrule by Caligula's, uh, and, and their ability to lie is vastly greater than uh, any crazy Roman emperors ever was. So that's that's kind of where I see uh, things are going. Uh, how about you? I see it exactly the same way. I think that uh, we live in an upside-down world. I, not only my, my – uh, I look at humanity as a whole and the planet as a whole. And uh, uh, that's a phrase that's taken from Eduardo Galeano, the mm -hmm. writer. Great writer. Or, uh, another way of, of looking at it is to say that we have terrible normality. And we, we are going down and down and down. Uh, peace, we are perpetual wars. Freedom, uh, uh, you know, my wife, for example, was trying to post you you uh, conversation with Mike Gravel and she, on Facebook, and she can't do it. 
that's kind of freedom we have. Social justice. The rich are getting filthier, richer all the time, and everybody else, everybody else is getting poor. And the worst problem for me, I used to teach environmental biology uh, at college level for a long time. And the worst problem that we are facing as a species is environmental and health degradation. I think that I know a lot of ecologists, and the, the consensus is unless we are doing something, unless we change the, the captains that are running our Titanic, we are heading for distinction, extinction. And it's not a matter of, of just not next year or five years, but within the next uh, one century or two, hundred, two centuries, it cannot continue uh, like that. Nuclear war, climate change, many, many other uh, things. So, um, and on the other hand, on the other hand, I have a quote from Jack Finney, a writer. Uh, he says, we live in a planet well able to provide a decent life for every soul on it, which is all 99 of 100 human beings ask. Why in the world can't we have it? That is the question we are. So, yeah, I agree with you entirely, and we are in trouble. Uh, okay, so uh, how about the ecological angle there? Because you probably know more about that than I do. I mean, I've done my reading and I've been aware of these issues since, uh, well, the 70s, I guess, when I started reading Club of Rome, Doomsday Predictions and things like that. Uh, but you're, you're actually a specialist in, in some of these topics. You've taught biology, ecology related topics. Maybe first you could, you could remind me precisely what you've taught. You described yourself as a jack of most academic trades. Uh, and you're a <laughs> professor emeritus at Wayne State University, uh, just down the road from Gordon Duff and the Veterans Today crew. So what, what, what have you taught? And then how did your scientific education contribute to your awakening to the kinds of issues we're talking about? Uh, well, I taught, I have degrees uh, in psychology, philosophy, and then a, a PhD in genetics. So that's more or less my background. And if you look at my uh, academic CV, which is now no great interest, but I did all, research in all kinds of, uh, I wrote a book about the Cold War and American politics. I did some psychological research. I spent quite a few, a few years studying elephants, elephant cognition. And some of that stuff, you can, if you look up my name, you can see it even in Wikipedia. But uh, the problem is, once you come to criticizing the oligarchs that control our planet, um, uh, you can, you can, as you probably, I'm sure you know, you can't get published. So uh, that's why I'm going to alternative, uh, alternative outlets. Now, as far as ecology is concerned, uh, I did publish, I think, in, in a Veteran Today, a paper called The Human Experiment is Probably Coming to an End. And uh, maybe the best way of capturing it is through uh, literature. Uh, there is a book by Kurt Vonnegut called Cat's Crater. Did you hear it? Oh, that's it? a great book. That, that, was, that blew my mind when I was in high school. Uh, me too. Okay, but the point to answer your question, there is, as you will recall, the Marines don't like to get wet when they are invading uh, uh, a country. So uh, they have somebody contracted and invent something called Ice-9. Now, Ice-9 has the fantastic property that it can 
that it can uh, uh, freeze water at normal temperatures. So you put ice nine in the water and the water freezes. But, and it's also like a chain reaction. So you put it in the ocean, the entire ocean freezes and life comes to an end. Now, they go ahead in the novel and it captures the reality of our situation. In the novel, they go ahead and they actually produce that stuff and, it bring, and eventually it gets out and it brings the end to not only to human life, but to life at all. Imagine you touch it and you become frozen. So that is what that captures the horror of what we're doing to the environment. It, it also, it's, it's also a reminiscent of uh, Ron Unz's theory that COVID was a U.S. biostrike designed to cripple China's economy and to harm the leaders of the Islamic Republic of Iran, thinking that they could contain the blowback. Um, but yeah. it, it blew back, uh, sort of like Ice-9 blew back. I agree. I'm not entirely sure. I'll give it what you just said kind of a probability statement of about 95%. I'll have to study it in great detail to be sure that that's what happened. But that's almost certainly what happened. It started, the COVID started in, in China, and then, in, in, uh, and then we have the Fauci, and, but we can go into it some other time. But the point I was trying to make is that we are attacking the uh, uh, 30 or 40 years ago, uh, the world scientists uh, warning to humanity saying we are on a collision course. We are talking, we are releasing all kinds of, of uh, tools from our Pandora's, uh, Pandora's box uh, that, that are tremendously, uh, uh, well, we, we don't stop. If we can make money somehow, not we, <laughs> if the oligarchs are controlling our life, the bankers and the, the deep state or whatever you want to call them that control us, if it can be, if you can make money, if you give you power, they release it. So you have climate change, you have nuclear uh, nuclear power, you have nuclear war, you have nano. Hello, Modi. You seem to have lost your feed. Okay. We... Yeah. And the worst part of it is what's coming. I mean, if they get an ice nine, they will release it. That's the way. That's the trajectory. So it doesn't look very good for us. Indeed, it, 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 uh, I, I agree. And, and so is the problem the uh, science? That is, there are those who think that uh, technology itself is the problem, that it, the technology has uh, kind of its its own um, inner drive and that, you know, we like to think that there, it's just our tools, but in fact, it's the tools that determine uh, how we use them. And indeed, they have a certain kind of independence and uh, volition. Um, or is it the the way that we've organized control over the technology and given power to these psychopathic oligarchs? Um, it's a complex question, uh, and there are many opinions. And you know, I think that at, uh, right now uh, there was once you might remember it, Kaczynski or somebody like that. They used to call him derogatorily. Uh, the Uno, 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 the Unabomber. Yeah, Unabomber. Ted, Unabomber. Ted, Ted Kaczynski, right. right. Well, that's, I yeah. read a book by him, and it was really pretty intelligent. I forgot the name of the book. And that's his opinion. We have to stop, we have to stop all technology. I don't, I think that if we keep the political system that we have now, yes, he's right, because, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, these people are totally out of control. But I think there is a better way. If we, what, we can use the technology, technology judiciously 
if we just change the political system. Now, that's a tall order, I know. But if we had a system like, like the Athenians, the ancient Athenians had with direct democracy, even if we had, if we had something that resembles Swiss uh, democracy, I think that we could control our technology. So the answer is yes. If we don't change our political system, then we should stop. But of course, they are not going to stop. The other, so that's not a realistic option because they are not going to stop. Obviously, they are not. And then the other option is to change the political system, which is really what we are going to talk about, uh, you know, today. Uh, and how do we change it? Number one, and what kind of system do we want? Number two. That's an interesting answer. Uh, and you cited uh, Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Uh, whose book actually is uh, su- surprisingly uh, thought-provoking and credible, uh, considering it was published by a serial killer who was only able to get people to read it by blowing people up. But it's quite a book. <laughs> uh, and, uh, in fact, it's funny you mention him because uh, his editor, his current editor, uh, David Skrbina at the University of Michigan, has been on the show many times. He's one of my favorite regular guests, and I think he is uh-huh. maybe a leading uh, exponent of the uh, thesis that technology is itself the problem. He's the author of a terrific book called The Metaphysics of Technology that goes over the greatest uh, critiques of technology. Uh, and But it, I think your your idea that there's a possible political solution is, is very interesting. And so your your idea is Athenian democracy. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a little bit skeptical about that. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's probably because we have slightly different, uh, you know, metaphysical perspectives uh, overall in, in, you know, I, I kind of resonate with some of the great critiques of uh, of democracy that, the, in fact, that, you know, tradition coming out of, of Plato, that the, you know, there's a, a cycle, uh, a political cycle in, in you know, oligarchy, uh, you know, tyranny, and then uh, democracy and democracy was not necessarily the best um and metaphysically you know if if indeed sort of every human being is equally uh virtuous then democracy works but if you have a world in which there are vastly different levels of uh, of virtue and and competence which is a form of virtue and it isn't evenly distributed um and perhaps among the people who are highly competent, there are some who are virtuous, but many who are not. I would argue that the, the, the way that you're, you're going to have, get a decent political system is to ensure that the virtuous are in power is the main issue. And I'm not sure democracy is the way to do that because that means that the less virtuous, uh, large numbers of less virtuous people are going to have to somehow uh, basically vote the virtuous into power. Whereas if it, it, but, but if the, if the rules of the game are just, um, democracy is held up as the ideal, that's not going to happen. However, if what is held up as the ideal is the virtuous, the rule by the virtuous, then, uh, and, and you have a sort of a, a weak democracy or a system of consultation, you might actually get that virtuous rule. And I, I see the Islamic tradition properly understood is the way to get there because they're the, the very clearly the idea is ruled by the, not only the most virtuous, but virtuous in the sense of actually having a connection to the divine. 
So I'm sure we have a totally different philosophical perspective on that, but maybe you could explain how democracy uh, as an ideal can lead to the reign of virtue. Uh, very good. Okay, to begin with, <clears throat> I'm not going to get, and I think it's much better, I'm not going to get into, I, I don't think it's necessary to get into a philosophical discussion. I think the the key to understand the greatness of ancient Greek democracies is simply to look at them and to see what actually happened. But before we do that, we are mentioning Plato. You've got to realize that there have been the, the one thing that the oligarchs are afraid of, the ancient oligarchs in Athens and the, and the uh, contemporary oligarchs in, uh, in New York City. And I'm saying New York City, not Washington uh, or London. Uh, uh, what they are afraid of is direct democracy. And we'll get into it and I'll try to, show, to make the point why that's the one thing they do not want. So there have been, in the last 10,000 years, really, it's 10,000 years, before, before that, there was, the only political system before that was direct democracy. We'll, we'll go back to that point a little bit later. But so there have been a campaign, a vicious campaign against the, the uh, direct democracy. You're mentioning Plato. Well, we have, we have I, like I told you, I studied philosophy and I thought Plato was great, right? But this is simply, Plato was an aristocrat and, a, and he uh, admired Sparta. Sparta was a country that was as close to the Nazi version, Nazi I'm saying, Nazi version. If the Nazi won, that, according to Bernard Russell, that's what we will have is Sparta. Sparta was, uh, and Plato was a great admirer. Now, on the other hand, there is a, a, a guy by the name who was appropriately called Democritus. I, I don't know if you, um, most people are not aware of him. He was by far a greater thinker than, than Plato. He was a scientist and he was a philosopher. We have, we have a great deal of Aristotle. We have almost nothing of, 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 of the, advocate, Protagoras, advocate of democracy. And it goes down the line. We, we have a state called Washington. We have, uh, who was an oligarch. We have, God knows how many, how many Washington, but Thomas Paine, either one street in the United States that's called Thomas Paine. That's part of the propaganda campaign that's been conducting against us and against uh, making us think that we cannot, we, you, I, and everybody else, cannot be our own rulers. Uh, they, are, they ignore uh, uh, direct democracy. Uh, they don't tell you that for most of human history, there was direct democracy, and, and, and it worked perfectly well. They, uh, they uh, promote the views of direct democracy, like Hegel or Plato. Uh, they are suppressing uh, uh, the uh, democratic views, uh, and, uh, and they even even assault the world democracy. We don't have a democracy in the United States. It's ridiculous. An Asian Athenian would laugh at us if you told him that that's a democracy. That's, you're talking with Mike Gravel about 28 pages. What does it mean that you don't have transparency? That everybody is not allowed to know what's in that docu document. It cannot happen. It could not happen in Athens. They would, so even they, even we are using the word democracy and we don't know what we are talking about. It's, it's uh, uh, recalling an oligarchy, what the Greeks would clearly 
call an oligarch, we call it a democracy. So we are confused, and then we have to talk about direct democracy, but really democracy means people's world. So uh, my, my, uh, I think that if you, to capture the key point, if you go and look at Athens and look at the kind of life that was there and ask yourself, why did they achieve so much in such a short time? Uh, then you must go and say that that, that uh, country, it's really a country, it's not a city, uh, that country achieved so much because it was free and because it was ruled by the people themselves. Uh, so that's my answer. And if you want, we can uh, delve, to make my point, we can delve into the historical uh, record of Athens to show you what a, a great city or country it was. But I want to pause and get your response to what I've just said so far. Well, yeah, I think that's a very interesting point. And we could, we could talk a little about the history of Athens. Of course, most people probably know many of the, you know, the, the great, uh, achievements, the literary and philosophical, uh, and scientific achievements of Athens. So we don't know, need to belabor that. Uh, maybe we, we could flesh out a little bit though, your, uh, assertion that the U.S. is, is laughably not a democracy, that's it's, a, it's an oligarchy. And I've, I've of course made that point many times. I make it all the time on my shows. Um, but, uh, would you agree that there, there is sort of a, a tension between what little uh, of the democratic impulse there still exists in the United States and the, uh, the oligarchy that grossly uh, limits it and often crushes it. And you've written about political assassinations, and I think that's a, a good example. Um, we've had all sorts of political assassinations in the U.S., and one of the forms they t that takes is when a popular leader who might be getting votes and using those votes to uh, get some power uh, threatens the oligarchy, and they uh, they eliminate that leader. Examples might include, well, many believe that Franklin Roosevelt was uh, was assassinated. Uh, John F. Kennedy obviously was, um, and his brother. Uh, Paul Wellstone in the post-9-11 era, who was threatening to block the invasion of Iraq and uh, to uh, possibly expose 9-11, was uh, assassinated. And Barbara Boxer actually ad admitted that she knows that, and that he, the direct quote was she said, Wellstone's killing was, quote, a message to us all. And there's so many other examples. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that, since she wrote the Encyclopedia of Domestic Assassinations, how the tension between uh, that sl slight uh, degree of democracy versus the uh, the oligarchy that really rules leads to all of these kinds of political assassinations, many of which are, almost all of which actually are denied and, and uh, hidden by the oligarchy. Well, uh, to begin with, uh, to begin with, uh, if, uh, you know, somebody like Jimmy Carter, president, uh, former president of the United States, he said the United States is an oligarchy. So we are in a very good, I mean, and he's not the only one. Um, uh, 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 there was a book, I forgot the names, by some, some establishment guys, and they say that clearly the United States is not uh, a democracy. It's an oligarchy, a pure, almost pure oligarchy. Uh, somebody said, I forgot who it was, that, you know, the two parties are two wings of the same world. And it's so obviously true. They are both controlled. By, by the bankers and the people who are, by an invisible government, the people, and they, uh, <clears throat> the way, yes, we go voting once every four years, but 
who is asking our opinion. It's uh, almost everything that the American people want is simply being negated. Uh, you have to understand that the United States, uh, and uh, Mike Gravel uh, made that point, the United States was not started as a, a democracy. It's a joke. The Constitution, is, uh, the American Constitution, is a sleight of hand to, uh, to oligarchy. That's the whole point. The Supreme Court that can cancel everything. The fact that you cannot change just about anything in the Constitution is uh, you have to have awarded uh, it two thirds of the states and so on. The whole thing is uh, uh, it was uh, a coup d'etat. What they did is denied. There are many books, and we can. It's another subject. So the United States. Was do you think? Never, do you think the Federalists had essentially did a coup d'état against the Anti-Federalists? With absolutely. The I, I I don't think so. I can give you any number of references that uh, which show that 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 people were cheated right from the start. The Constitution. There were demonstration in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know about the Shay Rebellion. What was it? Uh, they call it the Shay Rebellion, or they call it the Whiskey Rebellion. It's just a lie. There were people who were realizing that they've been betrayed by the oligarchs, by, by people like Adams and Washington. And it was the Constitution, the United States Constitution is not a democratic constitution. And now, for example, there is somebody I was reading the other day. She said, I mean, what happened if we controlled, if it were a democracy, if it were a democracy, then we would make sure that we have that that uh, we are not we will not allow the billionaires to get more money, and we will get less money. We will not allow that kind of the disparity in income to grow and go and go. We will not allow if we were asked to destroy the environment. How do they control it? Assassination is just one thing. You probably know all of it, but we have to uh, remind ourselves they control the media. I mean, they won't let you appear on Facebook. So they control all the information source, not all of them, but most of them are in their hands. There is, in the United States, there is sunshine. I call it sunshine bribery. What, is, what does it mean, campaign contribution? Right. When I ran for office uh, in, in 2008, I was, I was calling pan- oh, campaign pro- contributions legalized bribery. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's legalized bribery. We have co-option. We talk about Chomsky. Our biggest dissident that everybody believes in, because uh, you go to the New York Times, you'll find Chomsky hundreds of times uh, 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 mentioned, but Michael Parenti, not once. Michael Parenti is by far the better historian. Why don't they cite Michael Parenti? Because Michael Parenti is crossing the line. Chomsky, 9-11, never happened. He, is, he talks about conspiracy theories. So you have co-option. It's a very and then assassination. Of course, Kennedy, uh, Robert Kennedy, and the entire Kennedy family. Who is surviving? Ted Kennedy twice survived an assassination attempt. And um, I've I've done actually. Most people look at assassination as as one individual at a time. I looked at the whole thing, and it turns out that that. that the, enemy, that the enemies of the deep state, almost all of them are dead. I could only, I just looked, and I, you can make predictions. For example, um, uh, right now, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the Fox News guy. He's crossing the line. He's in danger of being assassinated. Tucker Carlson? Or look at, or look at Trump. Uh, uh, Tucker, his name is? I've never seen him, but, or, or look at Trump. Now, I, I hope you agree with me that he's just 
I mean, it's a disgrace. But they didn't like him. The CIA and the bankers and Rockefellers or whatever it is did not like him. Well, he's so bad now, for business. People, yeah. Uh, so 10 people, ten, I think something like 10 people that work for him are, are in legal trouble. I mean, what, uh, starting with his security advisor. I mean, this is a witch hunt. He's right. It's rich, and that's the way it is. Or look at the governor, uh, uh, Illinois governor. Uh, uh, so they smear, kill. They've got total, total control. This is not democracy. It's, it's a, it's a joke. It's, it's so, it's so terrible. And they call it democracy. They call it like, uh, for example, the 28 pages. What does it mean that I'm not allowed? And the, uh, the reduction. Kennedy, Kennedy was assassinated. Kevin, how long ago? Uh, it's half a century ago. Yeah, had, and we're not allowed. To, right, more, we're more not than half a century. Ago. Yeah, and, and tr- even even Trump, Trump, and, pro- Trump promised that he would release the uh, rest of the yeah. JFK papers, which were supposed to have been released back in '93 after the JFK Records Act. But they said, "Well, no, we can't release some of these. They're too too hot to handle." And so Trump promised he would release them. And less than 24 hours before he was scheduled to release them. He suddenly changed his mind and said that, well, there are these national security reasons why I can't. And I suppose what that meant was if I, if I try to release these papers, they'll kill me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, to conclude, uh, yeah, America, I mean, it can go on and on. The United States was not conceived as a democracy and it is not. And by now, it, there was some, well, some period, and that's why the United States once was a great country because there was, uh, there were liberties. And there were some periods where, where uh, innovation was possible, and uh, and the, but now now the oligarchs are just in total control, and they are taking away our very basic freedoms. And if we don't do anything, the United States is in decline. But let's go back, if you don't mind, let's go back to uh, uh, our direct democracy. Okay. The first thing you've got to know that uh, our closest relatives are the chimpanzees, of course. Uh, they have something like 99% of our DNA uh, is similar. And now they, chimpanzees, are always, it's a hierarchical society. And uh, But even there, if you read the literature, you, sometimes a few members form a coalition and they dethrone the alpha male. So even in the animal kingdom, there is some incipient uh, movement towards uh, a more of a democracy. The next no, I'm, I'm sorry, Modi, can I, can I interrupt you and ask when, when yes. this happens and a group of uh, younger chimpanzees dethrones the alpha male, do, the, do you then get a new alpha male or do you get yes. something other than that? Yes, yes, you get a new one. But uh, so that's, that's not very democratic. I, no, no, absolutely. But I'm just saying that there is a, an incipient move towards Democracy, but that's just uh, because I'm interested in behavior. I, I, I just it occurred to me. The, the important point is cultural anthropology. If you look at any society that existed before the invention of agriculture, in other words, for most of human existence, and that is a remarkable phenomenon that most people I don't know if they are aware of, is that. It's a conversion. If you look at the Americas, where I am right now, in South America, if you look at North America, where you are right now, I think your tribe will be the Ojibwe or whatever. Yeah, if you look, that's right. Yes, okay. If you look at, at Australia, if you look at, at all the places that's been studied by contemporary agriculture, uh, uh, um, cultural anthropology, all of them, 
all of these, or almost all of them, I'm not sure exactly, but all of them, they are, it's a direct democracy, as Marvin Harris, a, a cultural anthropologist, famous cultural anthropologist, said, there is the life without chiefs. They are, they are equal economically, they are living in, in, uh, in bands, they are free, they are happy, and they have a mechanism. All of them have a mechanism, and it's really fascinating, and it's really very pertinent to understanding direct democracy, uh, that they have a mechanism to prevent the rise to power of psychopaths and freeloaders. If so, uh, human nature is always the same. It, 500,000 years ago now, we did not change. Our brain has been the same size. And they're always psychopaths. They're always people, always freeloaders. So, but they're the mechanism, and that's where the chimpanzees are coming. They have a mechanism. Yeah, one guy could be much stronger than everybody else, but three guys are stronger than him. So, uh, you, either you behave and you don't boss anybody around, and you treat everybody with respect, Respect their freedom, respect their circle of, uh, of, of privacy, uh, or behave yourself, or you will be uh, lynched. You probably are aware, for example, the uh, Inuits, the Eskimos. Uh, if, you, if, for example, that's just one example of many, many in anthropology, that you, they are living on, on a, they, are, they are very happy, they are free, and they are living on the margin. I'm talking about 100 years ago. They're living on a margin of existence all the time. I mean, it's just very hard. So sometimes you have to, uh, and uh, you have to share what you have, and that's what that's their way. Their economic egalitarianism too. And if somebody is breaking that code, if somebody takes more himself, they send him out to die in the snow. So they have a mechanism, and all these societies have a mechanism to deal with psychopaths. So that is what anthropology teaches us: it, that mostly that the freedom and the real democracy, real as opposed to the jokes, the United States or French or Russian or Chinese style, that real democracy uh, uh, is possible, and it's not only possible. That's the conclusion, and I'm really almost quoting the conclusion of all natural, all cultural anthropology: democracy, real democracy. Of an uh, economic equality is the natural condition of human being, and it worked very well throughout most of uh, human existence. Uh, any comments? I, I tend to agree with that. I've read some of the same material and come to the same conclusions. And I even wrote an essay called Twilight of the Psychopaths, which may be the most read thing I ever wrote. It, it went viral, and it's still periodically every six months or a year, it pops back up and goes viral somewhere again. And in, in that essay, Twilight of the Psychopaths, I mentioned this kind of picture that you just described, uh, where pe people did live in uh, equality and in a form of direct democracy up until roughly 10,000 years ago or so, when the first so-called civilizations began, when the first uh, psychopaths were able to successfully organize bands of robbers to steal the surplus food from the peasants and stockpile it and then use it to pay 
more people to join their band of robbers and thugs. And so you got a, a psychopath or a king or what have you in charge of a group of thugs and robbers who would steal the grain every year and call it taxes. And so you had a bunch of parasites now who didn't have to work themselves and they could, what work they did was just uh, maintaining their kleptocracy. And this is the process that gives rise to what we call civilization. <laughs> is that pretty much the way you see it? Perfect. Yes. Perfect. So we are, we are on the same page on when it comes. And we have, again, let's underline democracy is the natural real democracy, equality, economic equality and freedom. And libertarian paradise, that's a natural condition of human beings. Now, as you mentioned, agriculture and the situation change. But there are exceptions. And one of the exceptions, of course, is um, Athens. Let me just, before, uh, before we talk about it, the first thing that you hear from people, a, a criticism of Athens, is the fact that they had slaves, that women were discriminating against, the foreigners were discriminating against, they had short-sighted imperialism, they were religiously intolerant, they will not, you, <laughs> they will not like your religion or they will not like my lack of religion at all. That, uh, class wars, never any uh, capital punishment, they were very liberal with capital punishment, life expectancy was only 40 years or, or something like that, they practiced infanticide. So it was not a paradise, obviously. But for the citizen, for the male citizen of Athens, it was as close to paradise as a complex society has ever had. And I, let me, first of all, let's just remind people of Athenian achievements. Uh, not Athenian, but Greek, because in, in almost all the Greek uh, achievements, or most of them, were by by uh, democracies, and Athens was simply the the uh, the acme, the, the the most productive and most amazing city. And also, we talk about Athens. There are many other Greek democracies. We talk about them because we have the record of the Athenians. So, uh, just to remind the listeners what we have here, from the military standpoint, imagine that the United States invade, invaded Luxembourg. Okay, or the United States invaded uh, 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 Switzerland, and or Germany, Nazi Germany invaded Switzerland. Who who is going to win? Well, ultimately, the uh, stronger power theoretically is going to win, whether it's Nazi yeah. Germany or America. Yeah, the stronger power. Okay, well, there was the equivalent situation took place in in Greece twice, uh, in Greece. The mighty Persian Empire, the equivalent of the United States now, and um, was invading uh, Greece in the um, fifth century, and um, and all the Greeks were scared to death. None of them will stand up to the Persians. The only city, the only country, country with what forty thousand heroes, God knows how, what power, they are standing up to them, and. They, the Athenians, by themselves, with the little platea and other little town over, uh, next to them, by themselves, little Luxembourg, little Switzerland, standing up to the United States, to Russia, to whatever, to Nazi Germany, and wins. How is that possible? Then later on, and by doing it, of course, the Athenians showed the Greeks that the Persians are not invincible; they can do it. Then later on. 
they, uh, in a naval battle. It's again the, the Athenians who, who are making the major contributions. They change these two battles, change history entirely. We will not be speaking now to each other unless the Athenians, if the Athenians did not want this battle. So that's from the military standpoint. It's just an amazing situation. And then you have, okay, you, you go about uh, the scientists, astronomy, okay, knowing that, for example, that the, the moon is reflected light. The, uh, the uh, Greeks that uh, knew it. Uh, philosophy, you mentioned philosophy. I mean, that's the, 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 uh, when you study philosophy, that's why you start uh, uh, with, with the pre-Socratics and then Plato and Aristotle and all these guys. Uh, and you go down the line, drama, okay, plays. Where do we get our, 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 our movies, the idea of a movie, uh, which is by far inferior to what the Athenians were doing? Uh, every, everything, every, uh, our culture, uh, just you think about just about every science, every uh, science that, that we have, every, uh, it's started in some way or another, architecture uh, and so on, uh, started there. And now, what was, the question is, the question, okay, so, uh, that it can, anybody that believes in progress, believes in, in, in uh, uh, excellence, cannot deny that that was the most amazing, Athens was the most amazing, intellectually and artistically, was the most amazing uh, uh, place that ever existed on earth. And, or, or maybe, I, maybe I probably, but something like that. It's something, it was something, it's always a miracle. And now I'm, I, I have a quote here from, from uh, uh, Manville and Ober, um, uh, uh, two classical scholars. And here's what they're saying, and they're absolutely right, and many others are saying. Democratic governance, they're saying about entering Athens, was the engine that drove Athenian performance, brought Athens to the heights of power and prosperity, Okay. And the history, it's really an amazing, uh, an amazing history um, uh, that again and again and again and again they recover. Now, what does it mean? What did democracy, just a few, I, I, you know, but my, just to remind our, our, uh, the readers, what was Athenian democracy? It was nothing like the, what we call democracy now. The people were in charge of everything. The assembly, the people got together, and that's what the ultimate power. People got together, 6,000 of them at least, and that's where the major decision went then. Then there was an executive, uh, because the, the assembly would only get together 40 times uh, a year or something like that. So there was a, a council, executive uh, 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 branch of the government. And that, again, was by sortition. No virtues or nothing. It's ordinary people, people who put forward their name, and among them, sortition by lottery, and that was the local trial in Athena, for example, the trial of Socrates, the famous trial of Socrates. There are 500 citizens sitting there, and he's on trial, and they are the one, the citizens, chosen at random, from the entire citizen body are deciding laws. How do you make laws in Athens? Again, 500 or 300, depending on importance, 
they have a legislative court of people like you and me and, and your neighbor down the street getting together, chosen by sorticians, and then they are, the way the Athenians did it, they simply put the old law on trial, and so somebody advocating for the old law, and then somebody is putting forward a new law, and there is a trial between the two of them, and uh, uh, that's how it works. And other features of Athenian democracies are decentralization, they have 139 safe governing parishes, term limits, you cannot serve more, even the, uh, the few elected positions, not more than one year, which is critically important for, uh, for democracy to work. They have recall, they can, if they don't like somebody, he's immediately out. They just have a trial and psh, and if he's really misbehaved, he loses his head. Transparency, there was no secrecy in Athens. Nothing. Everything is on the table. Accountability. You misbehave. You treated your fellow citizen uh, with some kind of mortality. Let's say you are, you are some kind of a, uh, some board that is responsible for the public safety. Um, and you treated him, he takes you, he takes you to trial and you pay a big fine if you're lucky, you lose your head if you're not. Uh, it was also a libertarian paradise. You can, you know, no one, you in, in Athens, you, home was your castle. Nobody was allowed to enter your home. Um, if you go down the line, it was just, and that was that kind of democracy. And the key is, you st your paper was the highlight of the psychopath or something like that. Well, that's one of the key things. A psychopath in Athens cannot go, that is the key. The psychopath in Athens cannot, can sometimes, and that's one of the problems, because the generals, the military commanders, have to be elected, not chosen by because that's a very, uh, uh, you have to know what you're doing to be a general or an admiral. But So that was the weakness. It's, sometimes they had to use elections. But apart from that, if somebody, somebody gave them trouble, somebody showed a sign of really wanting too much trouble and put the democracy in risk, they had something called ostracism. We still use the word. Uh, but in there, it, what it meant in ancient Greece, it meant that you can just ask somebody, for example, the, uh, the great historian Thucydides. Now, if you read his history, you realize immediately, he is, is, it's a poor oligarchic history. It's a falsification of the record. He's a great historian. But so, and he showed, he showed that, and he betrayed his city. Uh, he probably took bribes, and he betrayed his city in a critical battle. They were not sure, they didn't want to. So they just asked him, Mr. Thucydides, please leave our city for 20 years. And he was in exile for 20 years. And that's how, so if you have somebody like Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney, uh, or, or somebody like even Trump, or whoever it is that, that, or somebody like the head of the CIA, too much power, senor, pshht, uh, we, uh, we have no problem with you, but you just go and live somewhere else. We don't want you. You know, I, I, think, I think we years. should, we should exile Cheney to outer space along with Bezos and put all those psychopathic oligarchs on, on rocket ships. They want to go to space anyway, so let them, just don't yeah. let them come back. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, let's, but, uh, but, so that was, that was, and yes, you're talking about virtues. No. 
it's the historical record is absolutely clear. Why not replicate that? Uh, replicate again without. Well, well let's really, talk about uh, that then. How how could we replicate this? Given that in well Athens, you know, I guess a a, a devil's advocate would say that in Athens, twenty percent of the population were citizens. And so the other 80% didn't participate in these things. And then of that 20% that were citizens, maybe about 20% of them were really active, competent, leading citizens. And maybe 20% of that group were the really movers and shakers. What you end up with is there's that, I forget what the name of the mathematical law is. They call it the long, long tail, where in any field of endeavor, like the top 1% or or 0.1% does almost everything. And then all these other people that are involved do almost nothing. That's true. Like for, for, you know, for selling books, uh, you know, a handful of people write new New York times bestsellers, you know, 0.1% of all the books that come out, you know, reach that level. And virtually then there's this long, long tail where virtually every book that's published hardly sells any copies at all. And the same thing is true in so many areas of human endeavor, um, including governance. So one, a devil's advocate argument would be that even in Athens, a tiny percentage of people were actually doing the governing despite this apparent democratic framework. And so given that devil's advocate argument and the f- other differences between ancient Athens and today's world, uh, how could we learn from Athens to improve things and make things more egalitarian and genuinely democratic? Okay. Uh, to begin with, of course, we are not going to have slaves. Where women are going to be treated equally, we are going to be uh, we're going to let foreigners become citizens and so on. So that's right there. You uh, remove the eighty percent problem. Yes, they had uh, it to be a citizen was such a wonderful thing. They did not they were selfish. They did not want to share it with their wives. They did not want to share it with foreigners, and they, they had slavery. So right there, we wiped the canvas clean. And we say that everybody is a citizen to begin with. Number two, it's true that there were some people that the names are familiar to you. Uh, Pericles, for example, uh, Alcibiades, uh, the names that came down to us uh, through history. But so, yes, there were leaders, uh, the Martinists, uh, a great Democrat. So, th- yes, there are people who are more, but that it would be a mistake to think that the other people were not involved. Remember, there is the, the Athenians loved their democracy. They were really in love. For example, the naval ships, many of them were called, were called democratia, uh, democracy. Uh, they were, uh, when people when people, when you look at, at the graves, Athenian graves, and you see what they took with them to the grave, before the democracy, they will take the weapons. After the democracy, they will take a token that showed that they participated in the law courts or in the legislative courts that showed that they were an active part of the democracy. When they go to the assembly, it's not it's the citizens who are in the assembly. There are 40,000 citizens, and the quorum for the assembly to function is 6,000. This is not uh, 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 an aristocracy of the select. The people, the actual people were involved. There are all kinds of boards of officials. Everybody 
uh, uh, somebody calculated that for one third uh, uh, that uh, the president of the country, one third of the citizens were for one day the president of the country. So it was, no, it was, uh, yes, you're right about slaves and so on. Uh, the 80%, that we can fix right away, but of course we're not going to about slavery, and of course women are equal. That was horrible. But So that's right, uh, we don't have to go back to the slavery. But you have to realize that the active, the citizens were active, active. Now, how do we do it? First is decentralization. We have to give as in Switzerland, we have to give a lot more power to communities. Most of the power should be in the communities, which will be run like Athens. But uh, so that will be one way. Uh, we can uh, on on a federal level, or if you have a federal level, uh, then you can simply uh, do the same idea: a thousand people chosen by sortition. You avoid the sunshine bribery, you avoid the assassination, you avoid all the problems that exist right now in the United States. Thousand people, and that the American government. You want law courts? You have 500 people uh, that on the federal level or whatever it is. We just have to replicate their wonderful system. And if we do that, we not only solve so many problems we have now, but we'll create really as close to paradise, in my opinion, on earth as as possible. And I want to say just one more before we ask how do we get there, I want to say one more couple of a couple of things about about uh other countries today today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Switzerland. If would that be okay? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh Switzerland is about I don't know, 17 times larger in size than Athens, and Poly has about 30 times population. So it's a bigger country. It's an oligarchy. I don't want to make any, any I say, very much an oligarchy, and we know about Swiss bankers and so on. Uh, they control the information, they control many other things. But, to begin with, if you ask what is the happiest and one of the most successful environmentally responsible countries, on almost every measure, which is one of the best countries in the world, without a doubt, Switzerland is it. So again, we have a repetition of Athens, which is the most innovative country in the world, Switzerland, uh, which is the, 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 uh, one of the happiest, which is the one of the most environmentally responsible. And you go down the line over and over and over again, and you see that Switzerland, longevity, the Swiss, I don't know if you know it, the Swiss live Five years longer than Americans. Five years longer. That's um, mind-boggling. What's going on there? Well, yes, it's an oligarchy, but there is an element of direct democracy. The people, the people themselves, the average people, the non-virtuous people, can uh, have an initiative, as supposedly exists in California, and they can, if 51% of the people say, we want that, that's it. The government, if they got, there's also something called a mandatory referendum. The government wants to change the constitution, it must ask the people. And then there is an, uh, an optional referendum. The government passes a law, you can collect enough petition, put that to the, and you can override that. 
So they are oligarchs, but breathing down their necks are the people. And again, it cannot be coincidence. Our, our hunter-gatherers are happier than we are, and they are freer than we are. Okay, you know, we and only have a, a couple of minutes left here. So how, oh, how, do, okay. how do we get there? What, what's the best strategy? You know, as uh, right now, I don't know what to do other than to continue to expose the truth and thereby discredit the current oligarchical institutions, hoping that as they are worn down and ultimately, hopefully, annihilated by the truth, that either reform or some form of new and better institutions will arise. So that's a pretty much a destructive task that I see myself performing right now. Is there anything constructive we can do to get to this better, more democratic situation? Uh, in my opinion, in my opinion, we cannot no longer work within the system. They, their control of the system and the minds of our fellow citizens is so strong. As you know in conversation, when they go down to the grocery store or wherever you are, uh, they, uh, they, oh, when you talk about COVID and you see all these people with all this mask while forcing the children to put their mask on, that system, it's locked in. The, the people who control us are brilliant. And there is, in my opinion, there is only one way. And that way is revolution. But let me tell you, to conclude our talk, we have two or three minutes to tell you a story. Uh, yeah, about d two minutes, uh, or Alan, the producer, will get mad at me for having uh, too long of a show. <laughs> okay. It's the story of uh, Pelopidas in ancient Greece. Their city have been, uh, uh, they live in a city of Thebes, and through, uh, the oligarchs betrayed the city, and now it's a, it's a hellhole, like the United States is turning to be right now. It's a terrible situation. Uh, the people are, uh, they sleep with whoever they want. They, they terrorize the citizens in collaboration with Sparta. It looks that everything is lost. Now there is that guy, Pelopidas, now uh, exiles in Athens. Okay. In the city. They, uh, and again, the name is Pelopidas. And they go, and they go with the rest, and there is a party. The four oligarchs. It's only four oligarchs that control that, uh, control the city. They go into the, into the uh, city. They are dressed as women, and they introduce to them. And they, first of all, the two of them that are, they have a party, and they kill the two, the two oligarchs. And then they go and get the third oligarch, and they kill him. And that is, and then they get the fourth oligarch, and they kill him. That's the only way that they had. It looks, it looks like the cause was lost. But that's the only way that they could change history. Now, my opinion, that's the only way we too could change history. Okay. <laughs> and we better uh, leave out some of the details, uh, or the, uh, the, the authorities will come after us <laughs> if we start plotting, uh, how to get rid of oligarchs, uh, too. Specifically, well, well, thank you so much, uh, Modi Nisani. It's been very interesting. Uh, I hope to bring you back to talk more about uh, many of these issues that are related to the effort to get a more uh, genuinely uh, human system going and, and to overthrow this oligarchy. Uh, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye.